Let's open our Bibles, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Got down to verse 10. Verse 10. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. We actually expounded that a bit, but let's read it again and get the connection with what we're uh, talking about here. It says in verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. In other words, with enthusiasm, with uh, uh, intention and determination about it. Uh, For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whether thou goest. In other words, earthly achievements cannot be continued beyond this life. So we better do it now while we have time. And do it enthusiastically. Verse 11 says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. But time and chance happeneth to them all. Now there's a lot to be said in that verse. Here you find how uncertain things are, the great uncertainty. It says, The race I return saw unto the sun upon this earth, in this life, that the race is not to the swift. Well, it should be, shouldn't it? It certainly should be to the swift. And he says, and nor the battle to the strong. Neither yet bread to the wise. These all seem like contradictions, don't they? And it says, nor yet riches to men, uh, uh, to understanding. To men of understanding. Nor yet favor to men of skill. You would think that all this would be true, that... They would be right the opposite of that. But I've seen under the sun that this is not always the case, the preacher is saying. But he says, but time and chance happeneth to them all. In other words, it is all in the hands of God as to how things turn out. Whether you're uh, running the race, a lot of things can happen along the way. The swift may stumble and fall. And the fellow coming in second and third or last may win the race. See, you never know. And the same way with all these other things that are mentioned. Because it's all in the hands of God. Have you ever seen folks that, that strive and they do all the things right and it seems like they never get anywhere anyway? I mean, there's a lot of folks that do the right things. They go the right route. They go out and get a good education. Uh, they have the knowledge. They have the, the talent. They have the skill. And yet it seemed like some old country boy out here, maybe doesn't have a high school education, will go out there and establish a company and make a great success of it. On the other hand, it doesn't mean we should not get an education. It doesn't mean we shouldn't strive to be better and do better. But it means that it's all in the hands of God. That's what I'm trying to say. And we need to understand that. And then, then in verse 12, it says, For a man knoweth not his time as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time. Now I want you to notice this. If you read the first statement and the last, it will give you some indication of the rest of what it's talking about. For a man also knoweth not his time. Now look at the last statement. So are the sons of men snared in the evil time. 
In other words, his time of death he does not know. And this is the evil time for him, so to speak. It's not that that the time itself is evil, but it's evil because of his situation. Then it says, as fishes that are taken in an evil net. In other words, this is fatal to them. The net itself is not evil, but it's to his fatality. It's the end of that that uh, of the life of the fish, uh, the fishes that are taken in an evil net. The net is simply uh, called an evil net because it's a time of, that's fatal to them. And as birds that are caught in the snare, if they're caught in a trap, well then also that's equivalent to the sons of men that are snared in an evil time. So if you take the whole verse, you'll find that man does not know his day of death. And the fishes do not know that the net is, is going to be the end of their, their situation. It is fatal to them, evil. And then the birds that are caught in the snare, it's the same equivalent. The sons of men are snared in an evil time. So that, that death is very sure to one and all. And then in verse, uh, uh, well, the rest of that verse says, When it falleth suddenly upon them. By the way, the reason I didn't read that is on the top of the next page. And I thought that was the end of it. It says, when it falleth suddenly upon them. So it does come suddenly. All of these things that we've just pre-described do come suddenly. Upon men, upon fishes, upon birds. And it's all in the hands of God as to the time element when these things happen. You ever seen this uh, salmon uh, jumping upstream, you know? They're going upstream. And I saw one on the Discovery Channel the other day. And the old bear, he stands out there right at the top of that waterfall, and he just stands there with his mouth open. And those fish, I mean, you know, he's just standing there waiting for them. He don't even have to make a move. You ever seen that? So it, sometimes there's a trap set for you when you're trying to make progress. And he's just trying to get up there where he below. They all go upstream, don't they? And they jump over these falls and they think they're really making progress. No, they're just sitting there waiting. Well, so it falleth suddenly upon them. Now then, verses 13 through 18, I've always found very intriguing. And it's kind of like, it is a parable in a sense. And some uh, resist putting a, a parabolic uh, interpretation to it. There are some commentators that refuse this. But on the other hand, uh, you know, I, I know the caution because it, it comes from this kind of a caution that they who spiritualize sometimes tell spiritual lies. Did you get that? <laughs> sometimes you spiritualize something and there's no basis or ground for that doing that. But on the other hand, some things are given in parabolic form so that, uh, that you can see that it does have that kind of a language about it. And then if you can put some, some meaning to it that is really scripturally based, I don't see anything wrong with that. But I want you to notice, and this is a wonderful passage of Scripture. Let's read verses 13 through 18, then we'll come back and talk about it a little bit. It says, uh, This wisdom have I seen under, also under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. There was a little city and few men within it. And there came a a, a great king against it, and besieged it, and built great bulwarks against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. 
Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. Now then, I can approach this in several ways. Uh, first of all, let me give you uh, what uh, some have said it represents. In fact, James's, Jameson Fawcett and Brown, it's a quite a large commentary. Some of you may have seen it. And their uh, uh, commentaries on the Old and New Testament. Uh, in his commentary on this, it says the little city may be applied to the church, the church, the local church. Remember, Jesus said that uh, fear not little flock, little flock or little city. And that's where they apply it in a typical way to the church. And then, of course, the great king that came against it, who is against the church, would be Satan or the devil, wouldn't he? Uh, Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And then the despised poor wise man would be Jesus Christ, of course, because he was despised and rejected of men. And yet he, by his wisdom, delivered the church and made it what it is. So you can find a, 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 a parallel to that. And I don't see anything wrong with that interpretation. But when I first started preaching, I, I kind of I studied this and I kind of put my own little um, parabolic uh, sense to it. And it's practically the same thing, only it goes back and it deals with it in a more minute way. And so I want to give you what I have in one of my old Bibles and I've transferred it to others and uh, I preached it this way. And let me say this, that... I cannot say that this verse, these verses mean, this little city means any more uh, what I'm going to say about it than the man that made the commentary that said it represents a, a church or the little flock of God. And because he is only putting a parabolic meaning to it as well and a typical meaning to it. Because he doesn't come down and say that this little city represents the church. He's only saying that it could picturize or typify the church that, that I've already mentioned. So when I get to what I'm going to say, I want you to notice. It says in verse 14, there was a little city. And I put right by that little city, Eden, E-D-E-N, like the Garden of Eden. And few men within it. And I put beside that humanity. Humanity was small. There was only... Two, and then later on, Cain and Abel came along. But it was very minute at the beginning, wasn't it? And there came a great king against it. The great king still would be uh, the opposing force, wouldn't he? Would be the devil. And the devil came and he tempted Adam and Eve. And then besieged his city and built great bulwarks. He, uh, he besieged the city. That would be the fall. He, he really... Uh, encompassed the city. He encompassed humanity in the sense that he besieged it. And he built great bulwarks. In other words, he uh, uh, had all of his lies. Remember, the Bible says that uh, he is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. In John 8, verse 44. And then it says, now there was found in it. Notice that word, in it. In the course of humanity, there came a what? A poor wise man. Jesus was made human, wasn't he? Just like you and I, except without sin. 
and he took upon him human nature. We speak of the incarnation. And it says, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. He delivered humanity from the fall, didn't he? And he by his wisdom delivered that city by, by his work of redemption. Remember he said uh, that uh, now is the judgment of this world in John chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And he says, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. He brought the deliverance, didn't he? And he did it by his wisdom. The wisdom of the council halls of eternity before the world began. He put into action and brought about the purpose and plan of redemption and fulfilled it. And then brought about our salvation and offered salvation to all humankind as a result. And it says, yet no man remembered that poor wife, that same poor man. Doesn't it say he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief? Doesn't it say he shall come as a root out of dry ground? He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Doesn't it say, but though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye by his poverty might be made rich? It says, we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. And so, uh, Jesus became that poor man. Then said I, verse 16, Wisdom is better than strength. The little city had no power for self-defense or for victory over the enemy. But the poor wise man, by his wisdom, delivered that city. Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Well, now there's a kind of a play on whether they were heard or not. If he, by his wisdom, delivered that city, they had to be heard at first. But now... It gives us something else, and we'll give you in the verse-by-verse interpretation of it in a moment. It says, uh, the words of, uh, uh, Then said I, wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. That's true of Jesus too, isn't it? And it says, the words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. While wisdom is of great value, not everyone recognizes or accepts it as such. Wisdom is of great value, but everyone doesn't uh, value wisdom. Uh, knowledge is of great value, and, and teaching and understanding is of great value. Yet to some folks, it amounts to nothing. It all depends on how much you hunger for wisdom and for understanding and for the things uh, that will give you a knowledge. But you know, you and I can sit under the best preacher or teacher in the world and listen. And unless we accept the, the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding that comes from uh, that ex- expositor of the Scripture, unless we have a hunger for it, we may, it may just go over our heads and we say, yeah, you know, I guess so. Take it as a matter of fact. But if we really desire to know, there may be some gold nuggets there in the midst of all of that that's coming out. And that's our business to get those. Uh, Too often we listen to the loudest voice backed by the most powerful weapons rather than the poor wise man. 
Sometimes the poor man is not heard because of his condition. Let me give you some more things about wisdom. Wisdom alone is good. It shows that wisdom is better than riches. Back in verse 13, it says, This wisdom have I seen also under the sun, and it seemed great unto me. Great wisdom. This wisdom is, is significant to the man that wants to see about it. And the bulwarks represent a military siege. The poor wise men. Here's conflicting terms. Normally, the wise man, the wise should be respected and consulted. But in situations of poverty, sometimes his poverty would de-enfranchise his wisdom. And his, would, his would-be listeners would not remember or not listen. You take two men out here, and one's just a poor fellow, and... He has just as much wisdom as one up here on the social ladder somewhere. And people are listening to that guy. And this other fellow may be just as smart. In fact, he may be even more wise. But who, who are they listening to? Because of his situation, they listen to this guy up on the social ladder. We've got this in the community. We've got this in our state government. We've got this in our uh, uh, federal government. You take some little voice out there that's trying to get through to folks and has a lot of good ideas and they'll just put him on the back burner where some fellow up there, he's been there and he's got a little influence here and there and he's supposed to be have a pretty good name. They'll listen to that guy. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes not what you know, it's who you know, isn't it? But, uh, but the things of God sometimes uh, come through different. Although generally the poor wise man is not heard, yet his... His, the words of wise men, though quiet and calm, are more ser- serviceable than the shouts or the cry of the rulers that are fools. Look at this. Verse 17, the words of wise men are heard in quiet more than the cry of him that ruleth among fools. You see, a fellow can be out there just crying that he's got all the answers. But it says the words of wise men are heard in quiet. It takes somebody that really wants to know what's being said to listen to the poor wise man, doesn't it? It's, it's amazing, isn't it? So the preacher concludes his observations about the effectiveness of wisdom and uh, had it been heeded by the little town under siege. And then he says in the last thing, wisdom is better than weapons of war. But he says, but one sinner destroyeth much good. One sinner. Remember, there was one sinner that brought the whole nation of Israel to defeat as they went up uh, to conquer. And who was that? Achan, remember? One sinner destroyed much good. And until uh, back there in the book of Joshua, I believe it's the seventh chapter, until they got that man to the front and got that sin out of the camp, everything was going bad. And the whole business uh, of warfare was brought to defeat. They were not succeeding at all. It says a little folly, equivalent to sin, can destroy much good. Both the fool and in those who are near him, it will destroy much good. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroyeth much good. Well, there's a lot of things could be said about that. Let's go on to the next chapter. I think that we have said enough to, to give you somewhat of what this is all about. Uh, But wisdom, the praise of wisdom, the final word and the great conclusion is that it is better than all the other things that you could think about. Wisdom, and let me just say this before we go to the next chapter, that wisdom and poverty are frequently allied. 
they're frequently joined together. Wisdom and poverty. And by the way, wisdom is superior to force. A lot of people think, I've got enough guns and I've got enough muscle, we can win the battle. Remember back in the Old Testament where several times you'd have a great army that'd come up against God's people? The Lord says, you just be there. And He says, the battle's not yours, it's the Lord. He says, don't worry about it. Just be there. Remember the situation? And all, all God's people had to do is show up. Sometimes all you and I have to do is show up and the victory's ours. Because it's God that's doing the fighting. That means we ought to be there, doesn't it? And you go back, i give you the stories and the illustrations of it uh, in the Old Testament, in the Kings and Chronicles and so on. But uh, God says, you just be there. They said, Lord, we don't know how we're going to fight against this great army. Look here. And they just scared to death. And God says, never mind, just be there. Be there. The battle's the Lord's. Sometimes you just have to show up and let God take care of it. And He's ready. If God be for us, what? Who can be against us? I've seen that happen uh, in my life uh, time and time again. When there would be opposition. And I just say, Lord, you know all about that. I used to sing a song, Stand By Me. How many of you heard it? In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. Thou that rulest wind and water, stand by me. The one that delivered Paul and Silas, stand by me. In the midst of persecution. Uh, all these various things. And the Lord will stand by you if you'll just stay close to Him. And I don't care. You'll say, well, that's, boy, things are real bad. I've seen things bad. But I've seen what God can do with bad situations and He can make them good if He wants to. And He can turn things around that you'd never believe. And He's brought up many a sick. Look at Brother Walker's uh, mother. We've Before, he's already stayed the problem again, but the Lord delivered her before. He's going to do it again. And He'll take care of it again. Brother Hawks, various ones here... Families here, different ones. And God is able, isn't He? I remember when my son was about to die with hepatitis down there in the hospital. They made us put on a robe and a mask and go in there. And I went back to the fellowship meeting. Dr. Wayne Martin was there. And I said, Dr. Martin, I says, I want all you preachers to pray for my son. I said, he just about, they'd given him up. They thought he wasn't going to make it. And he said, Brother Joyce, he says, we're going to pray. And he says, God is able. That was the last words he said, but we had prayer. And you know, he was. And he brought him up out of that situation. And now today he's being blessed tremendously. I'm amazed at what happens. You know, Daryl can mention something one day and we pray about it and the next day it's already there. He says, Daddy, I'm surprised at how quick God can answer prayer. Well, see, it was on the way before we even asked. And... Fellow giving him trouble down there on the job, and he'd been on the job for many years, and he was really doing Daryl a bad job. And so he said, Daddy, pray about it. Next Monday morning, that was on Saturday, and we prayed about it Sunday, and Monday morning the guy came in and turned in his resignation, says, I'm quitting. Been there with the company for years. You just never know how quick God can answer prayer. And we're thankful that he does, you know. He he's on the ball up there. Remember what happened? He when old Daniel prayed, and various ones in the Old Testament, he said, before the prayer came, he says, I already had the answer back on its way. See, God has the answer before we ask the question. 
you and I, in process of time, we have to ask the question and get the answer. But God says, I got the answer before you asked. And He's just waiting until we do. And you say, well, how long will it take Him to get there? He's already sent it. It's amazing, isn't it? What God can do. It is amazing what God can do. So, uh, another thing about wisdom. I said I was going to say a thing or two about wisdom before I got into chapter 10. But listen, wisdom mostly speaks of, to unwilling ears. Wisdom mostly speaks to unwilling ears. We've given you three things. Wisdom and poverty are frequently allied. Wisdom is superior to force. Wisdom mostly speaks to unwilling ears. And then wisdom is more influential than folly. It's more influential than folly. And then wisdom is commonly repaid with, listen, this will shock you, with ingratitude. Jesus did all for us. He has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And do we show the gratitude that we show? You know the worst sin? One of the worst sins in the Bible is ingratitude. Look in Romans chapter 1 where it's classified with all the terrible sins of the heathen and how they turn back to their uh, terrible things that they did. But I want you to notice something. In verse 21... Romans 1, verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Now look at this statement. Neither were thankful. See that? And then it goes on to describe these various characters. I mean, these people that were... what? How did it start out? Neither were thankful. Neither were thankful. But became vain in their... And then, here's your description. Became vain in their imagination. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools. Became fools. Changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man. Into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. In verse uh, 24, it says, God gave them up. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them over to vile affections. And verse 29, it says God gave them over to a reprobate mind. But I mean, men can go so far. God says, that's enough. I've had my... You know, that's... It just comes to the place that uh, His patience is gone. His patience wore out with a, with a wicked with the wicked cities in the days of, of Lot. Didn't his patience come to an end? He said, I'm going to destroy them. His, wick, his patience wore out, came to an end with a, with a wicked world in Noah's day. And he said, I'm going to destroy all flesh that I've created. It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. His, his uh, patience wore out with old Belshazzar, remember? When he, the handwriting was on the plaster of the wall, he says, Many, many tekel you farson. Thou art weighed in the balances and found mourning. This night the... Kingdom is going to be taken from you and given to the Medes and the Persians. And in that night, the king was slain, wasn't he? And the kingdom was turned over to the Medes and the Persians. Because God said, I've had enough. Let's not think that God is not ready to judge when the time comes. And God is long-suffering to us. We're not willing, look, not willing that any should perish, but that what? All should come to repentance. It's a duty and responsibility and accountability of every man to repent and turn to God in faith and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. It's our business. You can't do it for me and I can't do it for you, but I'm responsible to do it for myself. And so are you. Brother, I'm glad that it's that way. 
But God has made it so that that we're all accountable. Okay, back to chapter uh, 9. One more statement. We said, well, the last statement we gave you was, wisdom is commonly repaid with ingratitude. And that's why in the Bible, in the New Testament so many times, turn back to the book of Ecclesiastes quickly, if you will. Chapter 10 now. But that's why in the New Testament so many times you'll find that the Bible says, giving thanks always for all things. That's why the Bible tells uh, prayer with thanksgiving. And almost always in the Bible, in the epistles of Paul, uh, he'll uh, include prayer with thanksgiving. Did you know thanksgiving is always proper in prayer? It's always proper. It's never out of place. Okay, back to Ecclesiastes chapter 10, if you will. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apocryphy to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. The more delicate the perfume, the more easily the ointment is spoiled. The flies represent a little folly. The flies here. So doth a little folly. The dead flies that cause the perfume to smell is like a little folly that causes what? A little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. In other words, the higher, the more, the more delicate a perfume that there is, the easier it is to spoil. The more delicate ointment, the easier it is to cause something to happen to it to, to corrupt it. And so, the more delicate a person, the higher a man's religious character, the more hurt is caused by his sinful folly in him. That's why when you see some uh, great preacher, and I believe there have been great preachers that have fallen, that's why it makes such a, a terrible impact, doesn't it? Because of their character of those individuals. We've seen it happen in the past. And God holds, we talk about, you know, in our uh, Senate and Congress, God holding those men to higher standards. God holds preachers to higher standards. God holds deacons to higher standards. God holds Christians that have been taught in the Word to higher standards. See, the more you're taught in the Word, the more responsible and the more uh, uh, accountable you become. Someone, we don't have the... We don't have the, the privilege of saying, or whatever you might want to call it, you might not even call it a privilege, but we don't have the uh, opportunity or business of saying, I didn't know any better because we've been taught the Word, don't we? See what I'm talking about? Say, I didn't know any better. We know better. Say, well, I didn't know it's supposed to come to church. The Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You know better, don't you? The Bible says, study to show thyself approved. I don't read the Bible. Who's Who's responsible? Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman. I don't want to be I don't want to work at it. A workman that needed to not be ashamed. See, everything we try to make is an excuse. God God says, I'm going to contradict that. It says, You know better than that. And so we do. It says, Dead flies cause the ointment of the apocryphy to send forth a stinking savor. So doth, so doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. See, the higher the character of the individual, the smaller amount it takes to corrupt his life. That's why we have to be on guard. That's why we have to ask God's guidance and help every day of our lives. 
I've prayed time and time again. Lord, I know we're all human. I know we all have feet of clay. But I say, Lord, help me to stay true to my wife, to my family, to the Word of God, to my ministry. Help me because I realize that men can fall. And I, that's my prayer. I don't want to end up... You know, it makes a difference how you end up in this life. And, and I'm concerned about that. I want to be that way. I want to be what God would have me be at the end of the road. My wife and I just celebrated our uh, 49th anniversary. And there's never been another woman in my life. And I trust there never shall be. And there's never been another man in her life. 49 years. And by the way, friends, let me tell you something here. I'm not against all the things you get for counsel and guidance and videos and stuff. But I'm going to tell you the bottom line is you're going to have to work it out between you and her yourself. You say, well, i got a lot of good thoughts. That's good. You take those thoughts and use them. But it's still going to come down to you and your wife working out the problems and loving each other. And if you will forgive and her, she'll forgive, and if you both have a willingness to make a thing, make the, your marriage work, it'll work. But if one is not wanting to and the other is wanting to and vice versa, it doesn't make any difference which one, you have to both work together. And it will work. I remember when my wife and I married. Tom will know this. Tom will know this because he is there. Grandma Burke, bless her dear soul, she's gone to be of the Lord now. But she says, those kids won't live together six months. <laughs> well, Louise and I was talking about it yesterday or day before, and she says, we fooled Grandma, didn't we? And I says, yeah, we did. <laughs> but she was a sweet lady. In fact, she made us a big cake the day we got married and everything. But it's just those things, you know, a lot of people do not believe. But the thing about it is, if you're determined to make a go of it, it'll go. And if you are willing to, to sacrifice and care for each other and love each other and forgive each other, nurture each other in your home, you're going to have a good, happy marriage. And the reason it will be happy is because both of you have the attitude of forgiveness, the, ha- the attitude of loving, the attitude of helping one another. I mean, you, one person doesn't build it on their own. Nowadays, they got these premarital sign-up things, you know. Boy, I'd throw that thing out the window so quick. You wouldn't ever find me signing one of those things. If, we don't, if you don't build your life together, brother, you're not going to build it. If you've got any doubts, you, you just settle in before you get married and say, well, maybe this is not for us. You say, preacher, I'm, I'm for the other way. Well, that's, up, that's your business. If you want to hit it that way. But we had, Louise and I never had any doubt in our minds but what we intended to make it. And I believe that's the way you should approach the situation. You're just going to regardless. Of course, that's my philosophy. It may not fit yours. Anyway, I'm always told to say what I feel in my heart. And that's the way I try to preach it. And I believe it, you know, it works. I know that. Now, I find out if something works, don't fix it. Just go ahead. Uh, where are we? we got about ten minutes because I got the thing late. Five minutes at least. So let me give you this. We really got, we really got ten, honestly. We got ten. But I was just going to let you off and get five. But it says a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left hand. 
So in the in the Bible, basically, we say that God, Jesus, is seated on the right hand of God. It it stands for uh, protection. In other words, a place of protection, and the other place is on the other side, which is no protection. It doesn't mean a left-handed man is not as good as a right-handed man because we find in the Old Testament that some of the, they chose out the tribe of Benjamin. You know, they had a bunch of left-handed guys that were they were good. They took that sling and they were uh, they a one. They could really hit the mark. But what we're saying here is that in biblical language, it's speaking of a place of protection or a place of not protection. Look at verse uh, uh, three. It says, "Yea, also when he that is." A fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that he is a fool. In other words, when he walks by the way in the common way of life, he's saying by the way he does, way he lives, by his walk. He's telling everyone that he is a fool. Do you want people to just detect it by your life? That's what it's saying. Is your life such a walk that people can detect it, that you're a fool? Well, certainly we want to change our walk if that's what it represents to folks. We would rather it be a walk that would be pleasing to God and they wouldn't think that just by the way we live and walk, our manner of conversation, that there goes a foolish man, wouldn't we? Okay, verse 4 says, If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, Leave not thy place, for yielding pacifieth great offenses. Okay? If the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee. In other words, in a hasty manner. If the spirit rises up in a hasty way against you. It says, leave not thy place. Don't, don't withdraw from your duties. Don't give up just because uh, someone's giving you trouble. Just because someone is in greater power is giving you trouble. For yielding pacifies great offenses. When you give up, when the spirit of a ruler rises up against you, what, you know what it's saying? It's saying, well, maybe he was right. Stand in your place of duty and responsibility and prove that rising up against you to be the wrong thing to do. Don't pacify his anger. This checks his anger when you stand in your place. This is putting a check on that kind of anger. Just stay your ground. Isn't that something? When when someone tries to take control of a situation that you know it's because of their anger, it's because of the way that they they want to mistreat or bully someone around, you just stay your ground. The first thing you know, that guy, you know, maybe I better leave. You kind of tip-tee-toe off somewhere. You'll be gone in a little while. Just stay your ground, if you're right. And uh, then it says in verse 5, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, an error which proceedeth from the ruler. A folly is set in great dignity, and the rich sit in low place. In low place. Now look, I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. Look at that. The reversal of the low social status to the benefits of dignitaries. What did he say? He says, I've seen those that were servants riding upon the horses in place of dignity. I mean, you know, that's pretty good, isn't it? And he says, I've seen the princes walking as servants upon the earth. You see, God sometimes reverses the situation when uh, things are 
And if all things are in his hands, and he has the power to reverse them. Well, we'll have to pick up with verse 8. I realize our time is gone. We'll pick up with Ecclesiastes 10 verse 8 in our next lesson.